It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. You can also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app if you have downloaded the app and type in ELMNTFM and then choose between Toronto or Ottawa. You could be listening anywhere across the country. I'd like to welcome someone very near and dear to me this morning to start off the program. It actually has to do with because today is the day it's bring your child to work or take your your child comes to work day right across the country. And so sitting across from me is my very own daughter, Cassandra. Cassandra, it's so nice to have you here on the show. It's great to be here. (laughs) So listen, I have to ask you because... I remember about a month ago when we started talking about this and we, we heard about, oh, it's, it's, you know, you're going to go to your parents' workplace for the day. You didn't sound too excited about that. If I remember you saying something about, I don't want to go. <laughs> well, I think work is like something that kids don't want to do, mm. especially at my age. It's, it's something that we dread mm. because we don't want to have to do the work in order to get money. You know, <laughs> we just want to get free money, but obviously that's not <laughs> going to happen. So we're going to have to work. But so far, it's been a great opportunity, and I'm really enjoying myself. Mm. So, yeah, so so kids right across the country are doing this. Did, did you have a chance to talk with other kids at your school about, you know, this day? I did. Some of my friends are going to prisons because their parents are, like, detectives in that field wow. or something of the sort. And there's people going to, like, accounting offices mm. and such as yeah. for, uh, where their parents work. Yeah. And and so uh, that's pretty cool. But were they excited or were they dreading it kind of thing? I don't know how they felt, but they seemed pretty neutral about it. I think that they were more excited to see what their parents get to do rather than experience it for themselves. Mm. Now, did did you talk with this at, at school with the, the teachers? Did they try to give you any words of advice or, or any encouragement or about what to expect? Um, They all said... Mostly, it'll be fun. Most kids have had great experiences going to their parents' work or family members' work. And I think so far, what they've been saying is quite true. And, and now, do you guys get to discuss this afterwards? Because the, I guess the idea is that you're supposed to see what your parents do, one, but also to get some ideas about some work environments, about some possible choices you might want to make in the future. Yeah, Um I believe we're doing a little report about our day here at our parents' work, our family members' work, um, just to prove that we actually went, actually went <laughs> first of all, and also just to see what everyone was doing and just, you know, see how they can make this whole entire day even better for all the kids that are doing this. Mm. And, and like we said, it's right across the country, all grade nines, uh, which is which is a pretty big deal. Yeah, um, it's, it is a big deal. I think there's like 200,000 or something of the sort kids going to their parents' work, which is really cool. Mm. You know, uh, you know I, I want to I, I, talk with you about this year. This year has been big for you in many ways. Of course, at the beginning of this year, you were in grade eight, finishing grade eight. And you started grade nine in the fall, like all the other kids in grade nine. But when we think and we go back, leaving grade eight and starting grade nine, 
if you think back to the beginning of this year, first of all, uh, you know, it was a big year for you in many ways. And what I mean by that is it was around uh, the fall of last year that I think one of the teachers at your grade eight school heard you singing in the hallway or something, or somebody heard you singing, and then you were asked to audition for their school musical, right? Um, Isn't that how it went? I believe um, my teacher from grade eight, like, I don't know, I would sing a lot in class just because it was something fun to do, and mm. like when we were outside, just like sing along to songs that I learned in musicals years ago, and... Um, he spread the word to the teachers during the musical, um, saying that, oh, she's a really good singer. And I was so glad that I had that person to tell the teachers that I was, that I, that I had the ability to sing. And that was, I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. And you ended up getting the lead in that show, in that musical. And, and that started something new for you because... Uh, you've obviously you've been involved with school band for a number of years. You've been playing clarinet, and you've done really well and progressed really well at that. Now, music is one of those things that uh, not every school has that opportunity to do, as we know. But it's great that you had that opportunity, that you continued, and you excelled in the clarinet because, oh yeah, that was the other thing you did. You you uh, played clarinet in that grade nine band where you got a, an extra credit for, but you also were featured playing clarinet for that at the end of the the concert that they did. Yeah. Um. I'm so thankful for the teacher at my old school, who is the music teacher. He definitely made a difference in my playing and just my overall experience in band. I knew I loved music, and I knew I loved band, and I knew I loved playing clarinet. But he really took that step further when he op- when he gave me the opportunity to be part of that band and that high school that was doing that course, and I believe there was a few other high schools as well that were doing it. Mm-hmm. But it was so amazing to do that, and it was so great because now I have a broader view of what I can do in the future. Mm. And, you know, that led you to uh, something else. Now, uh, when you got that lead in the musical, um, it was your mom's idea that, hey, maybe we should look at maybe getting you some vocal lessons at that point. Now, when I heard, you know, that you had been asked to sing in that musical, it was no surprise to me at the time because I knew you had a great voice in you, even though I would tell you that. You didn't really believe me, I don't think. But anyway... Uh, moving forward on that, then we got you a, a voice coach, and that voice coach, within a couple of weeks, uh, called us and said, do you know this girl's voice? And that, I went, yeah, for sure. So he then got you into another audition, which you then had a summer uh, a job in a, in a musical in the summer with the lead in that show, and you went right from one lead to the next lead. Yeah, um, I'm also so happy that I got that opportunity because being with that theater company was honestly such a great experience. And it's almost, it's so similar to the professional world where um, professionals put musicals together within a few weeks and putting a musical together in two weeks seemed so stressful, but it was really, it was not as stressful that I, as I thought it would be. And so now I know like what I can take and especially being a lead role, it is much harder with memorizing a whole bunch of lines, a whole bunch of songs, and, you know, choreography and stuff like that is sometimes really overwhelming. But after I had that experience, I was, I, I felt like awakened almost because I knew that I could take on the workload. Mm. Well, and congratulations for you for doing that and all the success that you've had. You know, you, you are here uh, 
and, and in some ways you represent grade nines across the country in terms of the opportunities that are going to be awaiting all of the grade nine students that, uh, that are looking to the future, getting an education, and striving for uh, eventually having their own life. The other thing I wanted to mention to you that, that you and, and I think your, your classmates have been speaking to parents about, it's, it's something really big. We had an election, but it's more than the election. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm, yeah. The environment. Yeah. You, you would always be on me about stuff and about the environment this year. And uh, uh, are other kids as keen as you about the world and about uh, uh, trying to stay on top of what's happening uh, with 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 the environment? Yes, there are so many kids that are just as um, empowered about saving the environment as as me, um, and taking that step forward as young kids as us that are the next generation that are going to have to take care of this planet. Um, it's a big matter, and there's definitely a lot of kids that feel the same as me, but there are also a lot of kids who don't believe the environment is the whole crisis. Like, some people um, believe that racism and sexism is more important, and I... I am so for that. I believe that racism and sex racism and sexism is so inappropriate and I do not and I think that we need to really take a step forward in that department as well, but I feel like right now the easiest thing for us to do is take care of the environment first. Mm. Well said. There you go folks. That's a, a voice of the youth uh, telling us uh, what what she thinks and, and potentially what some other youth think as well. I want to mention one more thing. You had another big uh, step forward in your, your music side of things this year as well. That is uh, the, the vocal coach that you've been working with, uh, Christian Bell Young. Uh, he uh, came forward with an original song that he asked you to sing. And uh, that was your first recording that you, you did on your own as the lead vocalist for a song. Yes, it was so much fun. I had a great time recording, and um, I think he did as well because, you know, getting a person as young as me to go ahead and sing and record something is pretty outstanding, and I'm really glad to have had that opportunity because I feel as though getting involved in this is going to help me in the future. Well said, Cassie, and we're going to let you hear that song right now. We're going to go to that song, and I believe the song is, uh, is, is uh, Ship in a Bottle, is yes. I believe what it's called. It's an original song by Christian, and this is, you're going to hear it with, with Cassandra Moses singing the lead, My Daughter. And I just want to say just before we go, and we're going to come back after that to our first uh, guest on the show, uh, Stephen Page, uh, the artistic director of the Bangara Dance Theatre. He'll be coming up right after this, but we're going to hear Ship in a Bottle, by uh, Christian Bell Young and uh, with Cassandra Moses on lead. And then we'll come right back to Moment of Truth. Oh, one more thing, folks. There you go. You see, you can have an actual conversation with, a, with your young <laughs> folks. It, they don't just want to sit there and look at their screen. You can actually have a conversation with them. We'll see you in a few minutes right after oh, small 
Welcome back to Moment of Truth. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I'd like to welcome to the show Stephen Page. He is the artistic director of the Bangara Dance Theatre. Now, you might be thinking Stephen Page from the Bare Naked Ladies. Not the same person, I can guarantee you. Stephen, welcome to the show. And, <laughs> and, um, that's the first time anyone has said that. So uh, they're probably not known as well in Australia. <laughs> that's probably <laughs> true, are, but in yeah. Canada, there you go. Uh, well, it's really not my real name anyway. So. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because the Bangara Dance Theatre is from Australia. Uh, and the first thing I wanted to ask you about that is Bangara. What what does that mean? Yeah, well, Bangara is a Wiradjuri word. Now, Wiradjuri is one of our biggest nations Um if you know the, the, the Australia, the country in New South Wales, uh, the capital of New South Wales is Sydney, mm-hmm. um, and Wiradjuri Nation is probably more regional west of um, Sydney, so right um, at the other end, uh, the western end of the state, and that's a huge First Nations nation and the clans and the Wiradjuri people um, endorse the name Bangara for collective group of um, First Nation graduates coming out of dance college that really um, wanted to start a professional arm. And, um, yeah, the name was adopted in October 1989, and it's been 30 years. And um, I've been the artistic director for 28 of those years. Yeah, 1991, I believe. Yes. So congratulations. That's quite a, a, a longevity to have with the company. Longevity, but then you think we're only 30 years of 65,000 years. So. <laughs> yeah, okay, thanks for... Now, people may be wondering what that is re- in reference to, but, <laughs> <laughs> but what you're, you're actually talking about is is the techniques that are forged from the culture of over 65,000 years of age. That's right. So our ancient Can, heritage, our ancestors, uh, yeah, are scientifically proven that um, their relationship with country and land and sky and ocean um, and their connection um, it's just as humans um, from that country um, is 65,000 years old. So we did a national tour this year of, of our country. Uh, we travel to all the mainstream venues. We reside at the Sydney Hop- Opera House every year. We do one new work a year and we do it the winter season of the Sydney Opera House. Um, and um, yeah, we called our show this year 30 years of 65,000 years and we celebrated the living 30 years of one of the oldest um, traditions of in in the world. Yeah. And you're currently on this Canadian tour. You're you're uh, in uh, Brantford today. You're coming to Toronto on November 8th and 9th at the right. Buma Appel Theatre. Um, how's the tour been going? Uh, amazing. Yeah, we we sort of flew from Sydney to San Francisco and about 17 hours, uh, mm. <laughs> uprooting our spirit from our country and coming. Uh, look, we've been this coming to Canada has been, you know, in in the plans for for the last four years. So mm. we went from San Fran into Vancouver. We had a beautiful welcome in Vancouver with First Nations mob there, and we did two beautiful performances there at the Playhouse at the uh, the Big Queen Elizabeth Theatre there. Right, um, the Vancouver Playhouse. Yeah. We just came back from Mont- Montreal at the. Um, 
place desserts, and we did a beautiful um, four shows there. Yeah, close to a thousand people each night. It was really um, we had beautiful welcomes there from uh, First Nation Mohawk mob, and um, we're in Brantford. Um, only because we're really trying to get all the mob from Six Nations <laughs> to get along and um, come into this sort of theatre context and, and, and um, yeah, see our contemporary stories and ceremonies play out through dance theatre. Um, and then we're in Toronto on Friday night and two shows on the Saturday. And then after that, we head to um, Six Nations for about three or four days and then we head over and end our Canadian tour in Ottawa. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up that connection to Six Nations and Indigenous cultures in Canada. There seems to be a fairly strong connection between Australia and Canada from the Indigenous side of things. Would you you, you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, we, we've been always aware. I mean, even we're so far away um, apart by these deep creation waters that we just feel... You know, I know in the film industry, I know um, Bangara had a feature film called Spear that was at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2016. Um, and I, um, you know, looking there with the First Nations film industry, the imaginative and so mm. forth. And um, we, um, you know, I know the film industry um, has been a great connection between uh, First Nations Australian, First Nations Canadians, um, and that's been a, something that's been probably over the last decade quite strong. I think just in different mediums, there's been sort of outcomes and different relationships sharing the cultural similarities, whether it's through health or education or through uh, the governance of First Nation um, political um, side. Um, but the performing arts um, has been something that's been shared um, pretty much strongly over the last decade. And, um, you know, Bangara is the only major performing arts company in our country that's First Nations. So I think Canadian First Nations that work in small to medium type project-based performing arts companies and trying to take their their cultural stories into this contemporary space, I think they've always been inspired by Bangara. So... Um, yeah, so we really have come to do this sort of mainstream contemporary dance performing arts venue tour, but one of the reasons uh, we wanted to do that was that so that we could also connect with our First Nations Canadians brothers and sisters along the way and uh, share our stories. And now you said it's been four years in the works to, to bring uh, Bangara to Canada. So uh, am, am I assuming correctly that this is the first uh, first time they, that you've been here? No, we came to Ottawa in 2008, okay. and that was just because we were doing a North American tour, mm. and I think Ottawa had just fit in. Well, we had one more space at the end of our tour before we had to get back and do work in Australia, and uh, we just pretty much travelled into to Ottawa on the one day, and then we opened the show the next day, and we were out the next day. It's over three days. Um, so, But we always said that was just a bit of a tease to get into Ottawa, and then um, that we would start working on coming back and doing a, a more fully-fledged um, tour. Right. Well, listen, we, we want to talk about the show a little bit, but before we get there, I just want to share this with our listeners. In 2017, you were honoured with the Australian Council Dance Award for significant contributions to the cultural and artistic fabric of the nation. And you were also appointed the Officer of the Order of Australia. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Now, now, that's quite something, I think, when it says that you, were, you, you had significant contributions to the cultural and artistic fabric of the nation. Oh, look, it would have just been my... Uh, Australia loves awarding people. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, 
look, um, you know, as I said, Bangarra is the only major performing arts company that's First Nation, so we don't have a First Nation music or mm. First Nation drama. When I say the major performing arts, you know, the Australian Federal Head, you know, we have a huge um, council called the Australian Arts Council, and within that, there's 29 major companies. So you have Opera Australia, you have the Australian Ballet, Sydney Dance, you have all the symphony orchestras, you have all the ballet companies, but the only... Uh, the only true, I suppose, Australian identity company probably uh, telling its stories from that landscape uh, truly and, and celebrating, the one that celebrates their heritage can truly say that, is Bangara Dance Theatre. Mm. So I'm, I'm imagining because we've, you know, let, look, I think it's just hard in the performing arts having a full-time company and just mm. staying and surviving in, in, in that structure, you know, let alone being a First Nations one. So... They're probably, you know, awarding you and recognizing the work to sustain the company, leading a company artistically like this. Um, you know, I don't do it on my own. You know, there's a lot of relationships I have with traditional reservation people in rural communities and regional communities, people in urban, other black peers that work creatively in the industry, artists, dancers that come through that want a career professionally and dance, but whilst at the same time celebrating their culture, um, reconnecting to their heritage. Uh, you got to remember a lot of our, a lot of my mob. You know, my father's freshwater, my mother's saltwater. They came from generations of genocide, assimilation, displacement, um, not able to talk their language. You know, they come from a, a strong colonisation of, of of abuse. You know, and so for me to come at the other end and to be uh, obsessed about my heritage and how do I survive and be empowered by this living in this contemporary space today. Um, yeah, I just was driven, you know, and I wanted to lead from the front. I took over the company when I was 25. Um, I built relationships between traditional and urban. Well, not I, but <laughs> that was the leadership. That was the vision. Yeah. And, you know, you have people that come in and they work, and good willing people, you know, non- non-First Nations people, a lot of First Nations people in the industry, um, and they all believed in the vision of the company. So... If they're rewarding, they're rewarding for, I suppose, the the spirit of the company and its its sustainability. And the, you know, if I'm there at the front leading, and that's what they're acknowledging, then you know, I accept that. And on behalf of that, it's um, our great heritage that sort of I've been able to strengthen the resilience of all of all of that has been what I've been trying to um, sustain, I suppose. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and a lot of the things that you just touched on uh, in terms of the history, uh, the abuse of of Indigenous people, we're very familiar with, as I'm sure you know, here in Canada. And uh, so we can readily identify with a lot of that, and and also with what you just said about just surviving in the arts uh, is not something uh, this this organization would be uh, alone with, uh, as as you well know. It's difficult anywhere. Uh, I just want to let people know that that, uh, you're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. My guest is Stephen Page, Artistic Director of the Bangara Dance Theatre. He's in Brantford. They're performing there, but they will be coming to Toronto on uh, November 8th and 9th for uh, three performances, actually, at the Buma Appel Theatre. Now, Stephen, we want to get to uh, the the performance. (laughs) You'll get to it? (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to it. (laughs) We've got to start talking about the politics. Yeah, that's right. So, um, well, maybe some of that is is woven into the story. (laughs) I don't know. But um, I just want to explain a little bit about what people are going to see. And and, and I have to, and I'll I'll ask a question after this, but here's what it says. A feast of sound and vision and the scent as well. 
From burning sticks wafting from the stage into the auditorium, Spirit, the Australian's Bangara Dance Theatre, is a rich theatrical experience that makes the cultural history of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Is that the, how, the correct way to say that? That's correct, yeah. Uh, people very present and tangible. The 70-minute show, made up of nine vignettes taken from the company's repertoire, launched a Canadian tour at the Vancouver Playhouse, as we just mentioned earlier. Now, I'm just wondering about, you know, you're in, you're in performance areas and you're burning sticks on stage. I'm just wondering about, you know, smoke alarms and those kind of things. Uh, Not a big... Just con- no, that's contemporary theatre now. You can <laughs> isolate all of that and you can tell your theatrics. God... Circus du Soleil do every element and mm, trick and true, that's very in true. the world. So <laughs> uh, now, they might have paid they might have paved the way for the theatrics and what elements work inside inside theaters. Um I don't know where you read that from, but um that sort of does describe I suppose the um the creation sort of spirit of theatrically what you see. Look, this program spirit well, is um if I can just jump in, yeah, that's actually, I took that from uh, a quote from the Globe and Mail that was uh, about uh, about your for, for Oh, where was it from? Montreal. Mm. So, Montreal yeah. Global Mail, yeah. Yeah, so thanks for reminding me to mention that. Um, and um, now, when I when it says scent, um, is the scent, uh, it, it might, you're burning something of that has an aromic uh, flavor. I'm just, is yeah. it something traditional, some kind of traditional? Yeah, it's connected to our culture. And mm-hmm. we work with a lot of different elements like, you know, certain substance of clay, which we call ochre. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's um, some clay that um, is on bodies whilst they dance. Um, you know, there's traditional inspired um, mythological creation dance stories um, played out traditionally. But then there's strong, grounded, modern choreography that is, um, you know, obviously been a, been a progression over the years of um, our sort of contemporary dance knowledge. The biggest injection is our traditional Aboriginal and Torres Strait knowledge of dance that comes through in stories. So, and just in culture in general, you know, First Nations Australian um, Aboriginal art is, you know, the biggest one of the biggest visual art commodities in the world. You know, um, a lot of that, you know, from cave paintings to bark paintings to fabric paintings to the ochres, the clays played out in colours to symbolism to the totemic systems to mythological to creation. There's all these wonderful custom, cultural, creative values in our system that we draw on in story, whilst at the same time we draw on, you know, the social black political climate and how that's affecting the poisons of the land and us mentally, physically and, you know, spiritually. So um, our works um, play with all those sensibilities, I suppose. And so the scent, the smoke, clay, um, the bush leaves on stage... All of that's to connect to the, um, yeah, our connection to um, all those layers, um, all those mediums um, that reflect our traditions. Uh, Stephen, is your is your background in dance? I would bloody hope so. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to do this. Well, what do you think? <laughs> um, yeah, I went to dance college uh, for about three years. It was a First Nations college of contemporary and tradition. Uh, I left and went and worked in a contemporary company for a while, came back, taught at the First Nations College for a bit, um, got to direct their end of year show. Um, pretty much my brothers um, were dancing, my younger brother was dancing, and my older brother became um, the head composer of the company. So all the music is composed by him. My two brothers passed away in 2002 and 2016. Uh, they're not with me anymore, but they are in spirit. And, um, yeah, we just, you know... Um, 
I've been, my family, father's freshwater, my mother's saltwater, 12 kids, six boys, six girls, grew up um, from assimilated, displaced, um, uh, my father and mother taken off land, um, we were just, my father had 20,000 jobs, my mother worked in factories and canneries, and we, we just lived a working class urban lifestyle, really. Um, lots of laughter, lots of fights, lots of parties, lots of singing, lots of TVs that we collect from the dump and watch musicals and Elvis Presley and Beatles and grow up on Motown and popular culture mixed in with our tradition and pretty much that was us um, and I left at 16 to study dance and I took over Bangara at 25 and I'm 54 today and I'm still running the company. And congratulations on all of that. You know, uh, as I say, again, the story you just described is is not uh, unfamiliar to many of us in the First Nations communities here in no. Canada. Um, now, can you describe a little bit of, you've talked about the performance. What what makes Bangara uh, different th- uh, from other dance troupes? What, what kind of a, th- a presentation might we see that is different? Well, there, there was uh, works are always inspired by stories, and we we've built many relationships all around Australia, from the north to the west, to the east to the south, to urban to displaced, to living song, tradition, language, and music and stories, uh, to the Torres Strait. So, you know, I think we've we've been doing an archive collection over the last thirty years, and there's been about a hundred and twenty relationships all around the country that have entrusted Bangara with their mm-hmm. stories to take out to the contemporary sort of mainstream to. To um, not so much bast, we don't ever bastardize because we always work with cultural protocol. We always yeah. have cultural elders working and endorsing stories, and they're with us all the step of the way until it becomes a presentation in this contemporary space, whether it's the opera house, whether it's a regional theater, whether it's a venue in Montreal. So for us, the, the, the theatrical, look, what the audience get, they just get, like any other theater show, you get costumes, sets, lights. Uh, we work with choreography and movement, it's all barefoot. Uh, the soundscape's probably the most potency because you're dealing with First Nation language in soundscape, in synthetic, electronic, sort of composed music, um, to rhythms, to uh, what the wet season or dry season might sound like. So everything's inspired by story. And in the story in Toronto, you'll get the first 25 minutes is a totemic story about a young girl whose totem is a brolga. I think in your country it's called a crane bird. Mm-hmm. Um, and these birds are very inhabited in, in the northern part of the country. This story is inspired by northeast Arnhem Land and the northern territory of Australia. And the people there, the many different families from two different moieties, um, they, um, it's a little child story about her transforming from a young girl to a broker. So it's a bit, I suppose, our bloody swan lake, but our version of it. Um, and it's through our creation story. So that's really just tapping into the totemic system. And that is dressed in lots of paint, white ochre clay, and a set that hangs, and it's got traditional and contemporary. And then the rest of the next 40 minutes, 45 minutes, are really just vignettes of different little three- to five-minute um, trios, solos, ensembles that really tap into a thematic theme of different diverse um, stories and inspirations um, that we've created over the last 30 years. Well, that that sounds wonderful. I can't wait to see the performance. Uh, maybe I may be able to catch it in Toronto, but maybe I'll catch it on Six Nations. Uh, Steve, oh, it's not going to be on Six Nations. Oh, you might catch it in Brantford, did you say? Well, I thought you said you were going back to Six Nations. 
we're going back to do workshops. We oh, can't workshops. do the show there. There's, there's no venue in Six right. Nations. Okay. Did you build a theater there? Unless Oprah might have built one. I don't <laughs> no, sure. but there might or be maybe, somebody. Maybe Drake, Drake might have built one. <laughs> there, there's somebody um, else in the community that might be able to do that, but well, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why we're in Brantford, because the council here has a, a, a theater yes. that we, could, we, could, we can come in and we can, like today and yesterday, the, the, we had six in production and they come and set everything up, lights and hang sets and play sound back and you know it's a it's we're a professional production the, company the, the sanderson um, center you're talking about yeah yeah it's the a wonderful, wonderful place you, we, we've got to tell everyone to come but i, I don't know there's only about 250 people. we've been playing to thousands <laughs> of people all around the country and then we come to branford and i think there's only about 250 tickets sold so it's very sad but mm. that's okay we will hopefully get some of the mob in from Six Nations, and then we'll be in Toronto on Friday night, the 8th, and then the two shows Saturday. Yes, yeah. at the uh, Buma Appel Theatre. So people yes. can always go online to find out more about that. And and the other thing I wanted to mention is your website. And I really like the way your website was laid out, you know, uh, showing your, your mission statement, the company profile. Uh, I thought that was that was nice that you give that background and, and talk about things there. Um, Stephen, it's been wonderful having you on the show, and I really appreciate oh, you, you taking the time to to do this with us and uh, share uh, information about Bangara and also the upcoming performances on uh, the weekend here in Toronto. Oh, yeah, we can't wait to get, get to Toronto and, and um, get this performance and, and connect with people there. Be, it's going to be great. All right. Well, thank you once again. Hey, thank you. All right, take care. That is Stephen Page. He's the artistic director of the Bangara Dance Theatre. He was on the phone uh, with us from Brantford, performing there this evening. They're coming to Toronto on November 8th and 9th at the Buma Appel Theatre. And that's uh, the wrap-up for this half hour. Don't go away. We will be right back on Moment of Truth right after this. And welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, you could also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app anywhere across the country. Just type in 106.5 or 95.7 ELMNTFM, and you could be listening, as I say, anywhere across the country. I'd like to welcome my next guest to the show. He's been on the program a couple of times before. Alan Carter is the uh, anchor for Global News at 5.30 and 6, as well as the host of Focus Ontario. Alan, pleasure to have you back here. Thank you so much for having me back. And, you know, uh, I think we've talked sports a couple of times. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Today we're kind of looking more at the political side of things and what's going on at Queen's Park. Um, You know, where do we start? Well, I think we started with uh, a new leaf and we've started afresh. That Mm -hmm. is the hope of the Ford government. And the Ford government, of course, had a very difficult first year. Mm. Uh, It was very disruptive in terms of its own policies Mm. and the way that it brought policies in. And then in June, there was a major cabinet shuffle in which I think for the first time I can ever remember, and I don't think anybody has been able to find any precedent of this, where where a finance minister has been shuffled out of the portfolio just after a single year in that job. Vic Fideli presented Mm. the budget. It didn't go well, and he got shuffled out. Now we have Rod Phillips in charge of the money. Plus, we also have Stephen Lecce now in charge of education. Also, we have uh, Todd Smith handling the autism file. Three key changes in portfolios that the Ford government has made to try and bring in a little bit more discipline. Those particular files were on fire 
for the Ford government. And just as it made those changes, you'll recall a big story broke, and that is of cronyism, of a number of people being appointed to high-profile jobs Mm. that were connected in some way to Dean French, the chief of staff at the time. Mr. French was essentially forced to resign. We now have Jamie Wallace in there, a new chief of staff with a lot of political experience. And what we have seen is more discipline and a more conciliatory approach from the Ford government. Now, many people will say, how long can that possibly last? But nevertheless, at this stage, there has been an absolute change in tone from this government. Hey, I'm glad you brought that up, of course, and, and that was a big one for me. I, and I'm wondering, you, you, you're saying, how long can this last? But did you see that coming? Or were you surprised by that conciliatory approach that, that Doug Ford took all of a sudden to the, the new uh, session? I, I think that what happened, I think, and I don't want to put too much importance on this, but mm. I, will, I will say that the change started on the day of the Raptors parade. Oh, yeah, right. So on the day of the Raptors parade, you'll recall (laughs) all of the, you know, the big wigs were brought up on stage. And when Doug Ford came out on stage at Nathan Phillips Square, he was roundly booed. Yeah. This wasn't the first time he was booed. He was Mm. booed a couple of times previously. And what had happened is it began to get its own momentum as these things do. Mm. So now, you know, every time Doug Ford shows up at an event and he gets booed, it makes news. Well, that makes people every time Doug Ford shows up at another event want to boo him because they want to make news too. (laughs) And so I think that the government realized at that point, listen, we are in some trouble here. Our polling is terrible. Um, you know, we have we have a leader who is tanking and who is, you know, becoming a, a bit of a pariah politically. Mm. We saw that in the federal election. Andrew mm. Scheer didn't want to go anywhere near him. And so just at that point when they bring in some new leadership, I think the decision was, look, we have got to pull the premier back. We've got to learn from the lessons of Kathleen Wynne, who seemed to be unable to realize that when you are not popular – when you are unpopular, the worst thing to do is to show up and do a press conference every other day. It's time to just sit down and be quiet for a while. And mm. what did we see all summer and through the election campaign? An unusually quiet Doug Ford. Yeah, true enough. Uh do you think he really has uh, turned a leaf here? Do you think this is going to continue? I mean, he's he's made some statements about wanting it to be more of a, a friendly environment, you know, uh, in 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 the in in in, in, in uh, Queens Park, right? When uh, even between parties, he's talking about that. Yes, um, and we have seen fewer, you know, standing ovations. We've seen the rancor in the house in the first couple of weeks. We've been back, lessened. Although I talked to the opposition about this as well, and they say, well, sure, it might be kinder, gentler in tone, but the policies are still the same. The policies have not changed. Mm-hmm. And that's fair and unfair. Uh, it's fair on the overall. There are some specific policies that the Ford government has walked back, mm-hmm. a number yep. of them over yep. the first year. And you can look at that two ways. I think if you're, you know, by and large opposed to the Ford government, it it seems like chaos. It seems like they just simply don't know what they're doing. The Fordists, those on the other side, will say this is what a responsive government looks like, a government that listens to people when they say you got it wrong. And they say, okay, we agree we got it wrong. We'll do it differently. Mm. 
And now that brings up the the the, the idea of of the the new uh, false statement that's going to be issued and and the money and the money, the, <laughs> the money. Yeah, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> And this is going to be so. This is so fascinating because we have it now. The uh, fall economic statement, and and what the fall economic statement normally is is they call it a mini budget. It it, it can be and it can't be. It's a midway through the year. It's a, a statement that shows the, basically the balance sheet of the government, where they're spending money, where they're making money, what's the overall deficit number, and there's always a little bit of politics, a lot of politics, really, frankly, with it. You'll find here that, you know, the government's going to say, well, we've beaten our targets. Well, you know that politically it would be suicidal if you missed your target. So what do you make your target? You make your, you, you make your target, you make the deficit number higher than it really is, and then you can always beat it. Mm. And we see that through subsequent governments. The liberals did it every single year, and the conservatives have been doing it. They say the, you know, they originally the, all the the deficit's fifteen billion. Well, then we find out it's not that, right? And they still kind of spin that number. Right. And then they're saying, well, the the deficit was ten billion. Well, except for the financial accountability officer just recently said not seven billion. Right. And so, and you know, now <laughs> the government will come in and say whatever the number is now, and well, you know, we're always doing better than the target. You have got to take this not with just a grain of salt, but an entire shaker of salt is required for this. <laughs> and you know, in doing so, what you were just saying about about the uh, the forders saying, "Well, this is responsible government." Is it responsible to fudge the numbers in such a way that <laughs> that it leads people on to think of one well, thing? Well, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say fudge. It's it's more of a hazelnutting of the numbers, really. <laughs> uh, you know, and every government does this in mm. terms of. This is what we say the deficit is, and this is a way that we beat it every single day. Charles Souza, budget after budget after budget, we beat it. We beat the deficit target that we were at, you know. So that that's the way a way that they always can have good news. But the, the is it fair to say that they these numbers are only in? Well, I guess they do it internally as well for themselves. But I was just thinking when you have an exchange of government from one party to the next. In terms of making the other party look like, oh my goodness, they did this so poorly that you know we're going to save the day here. Well, I mean, we we actually had legislation um, that the liberals brought in when McGinty won. That when we go to an election, the auditor is supposed to audit the books, and so that we can't have this situation which we had previously where a, a new government will come in and say, well, the cupboard's bare. We can't, we can't possibly deliver on all the promises that you voted for us because we didn't know that the, the books were as bad as they are. We've seen this time right. and time again, and we're supposed to have right. legislation in this province that means that it doesn't happen. Well, last time around, the auditor didn't sign off on the books because of a very complicated um, accounting uh, discrepancy and so we didn't get that last time around. So what did we get? Immediately we got right back to the same situation where we got a government, new government mm. saying cupboards bare. Mm. You know, mm. although they, they didn't say we're going to take a bunch of stuff off the table, but they have been using it, mm -hmm. that $15 billion number, which we know is not true. Mm -hmm. And Ford just used it the other day, even after the financial accountability officer said it's not true. Right. He's still saying it. Right. And they use it as a justification for the drawdown on yeah. a number of spending issues. Right. 
uh, no, one of the things that, that they did do, of course, is a cap and trade when they when they canceled that. There's now uh, there's been some talk about how the funds that were going to be uh, in, you know, to help revenue come in is not there. But some of the some of the policies are still in place. And so there's some, an offset happening there. Yeah, that's more of a lag time issue, really. Mm. And what the financial accountability officer said was that because we canceled that program, there was less money coming in and going out. And so basically, as they wind down, that that has temporarily uh, increased the deficit. What the Ford government will say is that the province simply could not afford um, cap and trade. Keep in mind, remember that that gas went up Mm. when cap and trade came in, Mm. and then gas went back down when the Ford government canceled it. The problem is, is that gas goes up and down all the time. Right, right. And, you know, like if, like a three cent jump one day, you might notice it, except for next week, you know, there's a fire in a, you know, there's an attack in a refinery in Saudi Arabia and it's going to go up 10 or 15 cents and, you, and suddenly your discount doesn't make much difference anymore. Right. I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And this is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Alan Carter. He's the anchor of Global News at 5.30 and 6 and also the host of Focus Ontario. Uh, Focus Ontario is, uh, just to give you a little more information, it is the only place... Uh, for uh, hot politicians and political politi- no, politi- political debate, yeah, the politicians to- are not hot. They're Trust not- me. <laughs> But the debates are. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> debates are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a half-hour public affairs show, uh, and it's uh, been uh, it's for nearly 25 years now. Yeah, it is an institution, and it is an honor to have been part of it for the past number of years. I think I'm on year maybe six or seven as being anchor uh, and host of that program, and it's a real honor uh, to be part of it. It's a, a real for all of us that work on it, it's a labor of love. It's it's a show that is dedicated to bringing people what's going on at Queen's Park, in-depth interviews, you know, stuff that's beyond just the little, you know, 15-second clip that you get. It's an opportunity to try and understand better what's happening in this province. And the, the number of concerns, a number of issues, you know, anything from opioid addiction to lead in water, you know, we, we take it on on our show. Mm. And, of course, that airs uh, Saturdays at 5.30. Saturdays at 5.30 and then Sunday again at 11.30 just after the West Block. It actually has four airings over the weekend. Mm. I recommend watching them all. Okay, good point. <laughs> <laughs> just, they're repeats, I guess, over the weekend. Way over the weekend, but it's four. It, it'll really sink in on it, you. Yeah, if you're I, I, it all, right? I, yeah. It's a Saturday at five thirty, unless there's golf. I, <laughs> this is ridiculous, you know, because we on Global we uh, we do air a bunch of the PGA, um, and so if you're a big golf fan, um, well, I'm not amongst you because. I, I, I can't stand it because it uh, upstages my show for half of the year. <laughs> so on Saturdays, uh, if there's a golf tournament, there'll be golf. Uh, but then Sunday mornings, 1130, you can see it. Oh, you can also see it Sunday morning, 8 a.m. and midnight. And again, I recommend all of them. Well, maybe you're going to have to start doing some golf reports. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I have to move that and move into that. That's right. Um, well, listen. You know, the other thing that's happening. Uh, you know, as we were as we were saying, the numbers uh, for the the fall uh, statement is going to be coming out. I'm just I'm just wondering. Um, the news house leader Paul Calandra, he's saying that this is going to be uh, highlight the ongoing work to eliminate the projected. Uh, budget, right? The billion dollar, $10.3 billion deficit. Yeah. So um, the Rod Phillips is the finance minister, so he'll he'll announce it. Uh, Calandra, 
uh, as House leader, his job is to uh, shepherd legislation through the House. That's basically uh, his role. We had him actually on Focus Ontario last week talking about this change Mm. in tone and saying that, you know, they just – you know, that they had been too enthusiastic or had they had been enthusiastic, I won't say too enthusiastic, as, but as a government, as a, you know, remember that the PCs had been in opposition for 15 years so that when they got to the government side of the bench, I think they were pretty quick to jump up and applaud every time they had something to say mm-hmm. because they're pretty excited. And he admitted that maybe that that was too much and, and that there'd be a drawdown on that. Um, you know, I, I will point out that this week there has been, even this week alone, there has been some kind of nasty things thrown back and forth across the aisle in question period. You see that. I mean, Doug Ford saying at one point this week in the House uh, to Andrea Horvath, uh, the leader of the NDP, that the the NDP had essentially ruined Hamilton, had destroyed, the NDP socialists had destroyed Hamilton. Of course, Ms. Horvath is from Hamilton. And then the following day, uh, the NDP member for Hamilton Mountain, Monique Taylor, demanded an apology to the people of Hamilton, mm. uh, from uh, the the premier, and, and that was not forthcoming. So you still see it. There's still that partisan rancor back and forth, mm. perhaps not quite to the extent it was last year. Mm. I'm just wondering if you have, in light of the fact that we're having this conversation prior to the, you know, the false statement, but uh, you have predictions, you have ideas about what we might anticipate to see further down the road? Well, I think what's really going to be interesting is not so much this fall economic statement because I, I don't sense that they're going to do a, a ton with it other than just you know juggle the numbers and say we're better than we expected to be. I think what's really going to be a test is, is next spring, next March, when Rod Phillips is in as the new uh, minister of finance actually tables a budget. Because the conventional wisdom is when you have um, – a government, a majority government, you bring in your pain the first year. Albert, uh, um, Jason Kenney, pardon me, just did this in Alberta. Like mm. basically he went on, he went on provincial television beforehand and said, this thing's going to sting. It's mm. going to suck. It's mm. not going to be good. And then they brought in all kinds of cuts and mm. they said, well, we got it. We have to. And oddly enough, the Ford government, which is much more of a populist government mm. than a true conservative government mm. in many ways, mm. um, they opted to not do that, and Vic Fideli, you know, brought in this uh, this budget, and the, the the premier boasted that, well, you know, the Toronto Star says, um, you know, that that we cut too much, and the Toronto Sun say we didn't cut enough. So everybody, like, we're right in the middle. Basically, the it's the Goldilocks budget is basically mm. the way they tried to position it: not too hot, not too cold, just right. But the problem is, is that subsequent to the introduction of the budget, there is dribble, 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 dribble out. Like when you go into a budget lockup as a journalist, basically what they do is they give you this giant 400-page document. And then they give you all these sort of press releases and say, well, these are the key moments. These are the key things in there. Well, those press releases that said these are the key things didn't include all of these buried slash cuts, things like legal aid, public health. In, you know, change all of these changes. None of them were highlighted. And so they dribbled out bit by bit in the weeks and months following the tabling of the budget. And it was a disaster for the government, an absolute disaster. So what will be interesting is what will Rod Phillips do? Will he reset and take year two as the time to say, okay, if we're going to make it to if we're going to make it to fiscal black, which is what they promised by the end of just after the end of the tenure, if they're going to make it, they're going to have to cut. 
And so maybe that is where they're going to be a little bit more of a Buckley's government. You know, it tastes awful, but it works. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they'll – I think that you're going to see more messaging like that um, where in advance of the budget coming in next year, they're going to actually be up front beforehand and say, we're going to cut, we're going to cut. The whole point of government, David, and this is so important, is you don't just do something. You – you talk about maybe doing it, then you talk about definitely doing it, then you talk a little bit more about, I'm just about to do it, and then you do it. <laughs> because you got to, you basically got to bring the public along with you. Mm. If you just do it out of the blue, then you're, go- you're going to get protests, you're going to get marchers, and we've right. seen that. Right. Now, with that thinking, I'm just wondering with with Doug Ford and his new you know conciliatory approach, even even trying to talk about getting together with the other uh, premiers, and he's reaching out to sort of he's almost like he's he's trying to get more national unity happening. Yeah, uh, right? yes, yeah, I saw that. Uh, uh, do you think that that he's he's not only uh, working on uh, you know this new approach for Ontario, but he's trying to to give us a new Doug Ford that we can look at? And do you think it's going to work? I think that the greatest thing that happened to Doug Ford was the federal election. In fact, I I will go out on a limb and I will predict a re-election for Doug Ford in the next provincial election, something that I would not have said Mm. prior to the federal election. And here is why. I will give you two reasons. One, that by not engaging Doug Ford as a campaigner and basically sidelining him, that Andrew Scheer perhaps lost a number of seats that he could have picked up in Toronto if he had used the personal power, even though he's not polling well. But if he had used the Ford brand, maybe he had done better. But he didn't. So that means that Doug Ford doesn't wear the conservative loss. In fact, he can kind of say you know, absence of anything else. Well, Mm. you should have used me. I mean, Mm. we don't know whether it would have helped or not. We just don't know. Number two is Justin Trudeau was reelected and is going to be in government for 18 months to at least probably 24, maybe a little bit more. Mm. Um, And that is going to be great for Ford because Ontario historically does not like to have the same party in both. So if... We don't like liberals and liberals, and we don't like conservatives. We always keem to change it up. Mm. So Trudeau is back in. He'll probably, who knows, if we have a recession, it's quite possible he'll be unpopular come around the next time, and mm. that is going to help Ford. People will vote. If, if Trudeau is still in power, his minority is still holding the next time Ontario goes to the polls, that's great news for Doug Ford. It seemed that uh, Trudeau seemed to enjoy uh, uh, using Doug Ford quite a bit in his comments uh, during the election. Well, Ford himself said, I think that guy's in love with me. He talks about me so much. He mentions me so much, you know, which was a great little quip. Um, mm. and, and we come back to that earlier point of showing discipline. Mm. And, mm. and, you know, he Ford has refused to be drawn in mm. and has been magnanimous even in – the wake of Trudeau's win. So again, I want to go back to, do you think that this is, this is really a, a new Doug Ford? Because it, it seems like he's completely... Well, I mean, it's it. early days, but here's what, what's going to happen. Here's what I'm going to tell you is going to happen is in the next couple of months, there's going to be a new poll out 
and it's going to show that Ford's popularity numbers are up. Right. Mm-hmm. It will. Sure. And nothing succeeds like success. Mm. So if you know, if in the premier's office they they're going to go to Doug and they're going to say, "Here's your numbers now after you've done what I told you to do, which right. is be quiet and be right. nicer." And Mr. Ford, who, like I said, is a populist politician who takes very, very much to heart what people say and think about him, which is why I go back to that Raptors parade as being a key moment. Yeah, I agree it with you. Really, really, sure. bo- I really bothered him. Yep. Bothered him yep. deeply. Yep. And I think he sort of retrenched and decided and asked himself, what do we do to change this? Mm-hmm. And if these numbers show, like I think they will, that there's an uptick in his popularity, he's going to increasingly believe that this is the way to go forward. And I think we'll see more like this. Mm. All right. Mr. Alan Carter, it's been a pleasure having you on the oh, show it's today. great to be here. And uh, we appreciate you coming in and doing this with us. We really do. Always great to be here, David, and talk to you. All right. That wraps up Moment of Truth for today. I want to thank Mr. Alan Carter for coming in. He is the anchor for Global News at 530 and 6 and also the host of Focus Ontario. And that is your show for today. Thank you for listening. And until next time, I'm David Moses. We'll catch you next time on Moment of Truth right here on Element FM. Until then, Monagiha.